The Acts of the Apostles, starting in chapter 7. So if you remember, they were gathering around Stephen. They brought him before the council. Uh, They were saying that he was saying things against the temple and against the law of Moses. And so we're right in the middle of that story. The high priest said, Are these things so? And he said, Hear me, brethren and fathers. The glory of God appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Leave your country and your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. Then he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. From there, after his father died, God had him moved to this country in which you are now living. But he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot of ground. And yet, even when he had no child, he promised that he would give it to him as a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke to this effect, that his descendants would be aliens in a foreign land and that they would be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. And whatever nation to which they will be in bondage, I myself will judge, said God. And after that, they will come out and serve me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. So he's going through the history, starting with Abraham, telling how Abraham got into the promised land. And then how uh, the people, well, he's about to start talking about how the people are in Egypt. Verse 9, the patriarchs became jealous of Joseph and sold him into Egypt. Yet God was with him and rescued him from all his afflictions and granted him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his household. Now a famine came over Egypt and Canaan and great affliction with it. And our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers there the first time. On the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family was disclosed to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent word and invited Jacob, his father, and all his relatives to come to him, seventy-five persons in all. And Jacob went down to Egypt, and there he and our fathers died. From there they were removed to Shechem and laid in the tomb which Abraham had purchased for a sum of money from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. But as the time of the promise was approaching, which God had assured to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose another king over Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. It was he who took shrewd advantage of our race and mistreated our fathers so that they would expose their infants and they would not survive. It was at this time that Moses was born and he was lovely in the sight of God and he was nurtured three months in his father's home. And after he had been set outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and nurtured him as her own son. Moses was educated in all the learnings of Egyptians, and he was a man of power in words and deeds. But when he was approaching the age of 40, it entered his mind to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. And when he saw one of them being treated unjustly, he defended him and took vengeance for the oppressed by striking down the Egyptian. And he supposed that his brethren understood that God was granting them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. On the following day, he appeared to them as they were fighting together, and he tried to reconcile them in peace, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you injure one another? But the one who was injuring his neighbor pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? You do not mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday, do you? At this remark, Moses fled and became an alien in the land of Midian where he became the father of two sons. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness in Mount Sinai. It's crazy to think about that Moses had to, in order to reach the humility 
to reach the character that God needed him to have in order to lead his people out of slavery into the wilderness for another 40 years. God had to have him be disciplined in his own personal wilderness for 40 years before that time. That's a long time to be quieted, be stilled, be disciplined by the Lord. So after 40 years of this, um, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in the flame of a burning thorn bush. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight, and as he approached, he took more. He looked more closely. There came the voice of the Lord, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Moses shook with fear and would not venture to look, but the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt and have heard their groans, and I have come down to rescue them. Come now, and I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, from whom they disowned, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? is the one whom God sent to be both a ruler and a deliverer with the help of the angel who appeared to him in the thorn bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the sons of Israel, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness together with the angel who was speaking to him in the Mount Sinai and who was with our fathers and he received living oracles to pass on to you. So let me pause for a minute. He's he's established their their, uh, history together so that they're coming from a common understanding before he introduced Jesus. He's about to turn but so he's established the history of the people from Abraham to Moses, and then Moses bringing the people through the Red Sea out of Egypt in the wilderness for 40 years. And the fact that Moses himself said he would raise up a prophet from among the brothers, the people of Israel. And so he's saying, this is the one who heard from the angel, was speaking to him on Mount Sinai, who was with our fathers, and he received living oracles to pass on to you. So they all have this common understanding. Our fathers were unwilling to be obedient to him, but repudiated him in their hearts. Turn back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. For this Moses who led us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what happened to him. So he said, when God was working on the people's behalf, and when Moses was working on the people's behalf, the people turned away from both. At that time, they made a calf and brought a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. God turned away and delivered them up to serve the host of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, it was not to me that you offered victims and sacrifices 40 years in the wilderness, was it, O house of Israel? You also took along the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of the god Rumpha, the images which you made to worship. I also will remove you beyond Babylon." So he's saying that throughout the history of the people, they have turned away from God's way, from God's blessing. And God promised that he would would, uh, basically discipline them, that he would send them into Babylon. So he's building a bridge to help, which I try to do in, in a lot of these talks, to help us understand that 
we in our fallen nature are just like the people in the Bible. Because what these people were doing was the same thing people do today, which is say, well, yes, we are blessed and holy, but oh, those those people back in, in the Bible, man, they never listened to God. They never went God's way. And Stephen's trying to wake them up to the fact that, hey, this is a message for you. <laughs> You're not listening. You're not going God's way. Um, there, because the spirit of religion, the fallen nature of man, is to grab hold of God or Jesus to claim them for our own and then go our own way. And Stephen is saying that is always what your forefathers have done. But now God is moving just as the temple, the tabernacle in the wilderness moved when God moved. That's a, a signal for us when God is moving in a new direction. It's not, it's not that he is doing something completely new. He's always had the same purpose and plan from the very beginning with Adam and Eve. Um, and he is still about that plan. But the ways he goes about it has been different throughout history. And Stephen's saying, when God is moving, we have to move with him. And Stephen is saying, look, these things have been prophesied. Jesus was prophesied, just as the things in our time have been prophesied. They look different than the times in the past. That all has been prophesied. That's all in the Bible. And so he says, 44, Our fathers had the tabernacle of testimony in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern which he has seen. And having received it in their turn, our fathers brought it in with Joshua upon dispossessing the nations whom God drove out before our fathers until the time of David. David found favor in God's sight and asked that he might find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. However, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by human hands, as the prophet says. So he's, you know, established. God gave Moses a pattern for the tabernacle so he would make a copy of the, um, of the heavenly tabernacle on earth. And Hebrews 8 talks about this same, same thing, um, that that was a copy of the real thing. And I would just add in, since I was adding in this last night with our group here, that God is bringing the real thing, not the copy. Um, but Moses made a copy. But then David made a copy of the copy because he wanted it to be made of stone. Well, although he wasn't permitted to make it, so he gave the plans to Solomon and he made it. And so the prophet says, 49, Heaven is my throne and earth is the footstool of my feet. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what place is there for my repose? Was it not my hand which made all these things? So God says, I can't be contained in any physical structure. I made every physical structure and I made you. 51, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised. So he's telling them because they, um, you remember, he's on trial. They made up things about what he said, but part of what they said was that he was speaking against the temple. Well, he's kind of come around to that temple point to say, God himself said he cannot be contained in a temple, and now you're worshiping a temple. 51. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. So now he's connecting them to the story that they all agree that their fathers did wrong, um, but they don't see that they're doing wrong. He said, you are doing just as your fathers did. Jesus did the same thing when he would speak to them. 
Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become, you who received the law as ordained by angels and did not keep it. And so when they heard this, they were cut to the quick. They began gnashing their teeth at him. You know, I, th- I assume that's metaphorical. Otherwise, that's just strange. But anyways, maybe so, because they're filled with rage, right? They are not filled with the Holy Spirit. They're filled with another spirit entirely. And uh, being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven. So they have this rage, this evil spirit on them. And Stephen is filled with the Holy Spirit. He's in peace. He's gazing intently at heaven. He sees the glory of God. He sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. So they're in a rage. They're killing him with stones, uh, which was, you know, it's the law of Moses, I think, to to stone a a blasphemer and so they're taking it upon themselves to decide that he's a blasphemer and there's a young man named Saul there Saul's going to become Paul they were stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said Lord Jesus receive my spirit then falling on his knees he cried out with a loud voice Lord do not hold the sin against them having said this he fell asleep so Stephen is completely in the spirit he is living that spiritual life not not even his mind his heart is not on the physical torture and death that he is about to receive it's on the glory of God the glory of Jesus's life within him and the blessing that his life will be to others in whatever way God purposes he's not worried it's not like he woke up that morning and wanted to die a brutal death but he wanted to give his life, fully trusted in God, wanted to give his life in whatever way God had. I'm sure he would have preferred a long life, but he is at peace with God using his life in whatever way. And of course, as the saying goes, he's in a better place immediately, right? And Jesus is there to give him peace as he becomes this first martyr. And he, his, as we're going to, well, we're about to see, so I'll, let's just move on to Acts 8. Which starts, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. So that's something, um, if you've never thought about this before, Saul was what we would call a terrorist today. He went around, uh, you know, in this case, he wasn't the one throwing the stones, but he was kind of in charge of it. So he's killing Stephen. He's throwing many others into prison for their faith. Um, you know, all because they believe in the name of Jesus. That's the only thing they were doing wrong. Um, we would, you know, so if you look at like, for, for instance, uh, Islamic extremists today, I believe, that, well, I know the Lord has already shown up to some of these and they've come to Christ. And you can find those videos on YouTube and stuff of uh, people who were like murdering Islamic terrorists who all of a sudden received the Lord, repented and turned around. Well, that's exactly what Saul was. And so the Lord can turn anyone. I believe he's going to turn many of these people. And, um, and so we can never look at somebody in the flesh and say, oh, that person's my enemy. Um, 
everyone that is in the flesh away from Christ is God's enemy, and there's no reason for us to make them our enemy, but we must make ourselves uh, committed to God. They might make ourselves our enemy, but as we pray for them, should they receive the Lord, which should be our prayer, they become our brother, our friend, our you know, the the closest, closest to us than someone we've known our whole lives who isn't walking in the Lord. And so that is the way of Lord, to transform people into him. And we see this mightily with Saul. So we see a great persecution begins to break out against the church because of this. So it's interesting. Uh, on one hand, Stephen is martyred and it stirs up evil. So we see it's, there's, it's a big turning point in history. Uh, Stephen is martyred, and so evil is stirred up. But then we also see the Spirit of God stirred up. And what happens is the, the uh, disciples, not, not the 12 apostles, but, but a lot of the rest of the disciples are spread. They have to, because of the persecution, they leave. And they move into other areas of Judea and Samaria. It tells us uh, Stephen was buried. Uh, Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. And then Philip goes down to Samaria and begins preaching Christ there. And the crowds were giving him attention because they heard what he was saying. They saw signs and wonders he was doing. Uh, Many unclean spirits were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing. Now, there's a man named Simon who lived there, and he was a magician. He practiced magic, and apparently it was impressive magic. Again, there's a lot of stuff in the Bible that Christians just don't believe in today, um, which is really strange if you think about it. But again, we can, we can be taught a religion, and we can think anything, even when it's clearly against what the Bible says. Um, the Bible's clearly saying here there is magic. There is other spiritual realities other than the spirit of god the demonic world the spirit of you know the uh, the kingdom of darkness is very happy to work with us against christ Uh, so the idea that that doesn't exist is not biblical it's made up by uh, some religious teacher that got passed on and you heard since you were young maybe and so you believe it Um, but take those things seriously They are very, very real, and we see that right here. Simon was doing a lot of magic, and everyone thought that he was this amazing power. They called him, this. they said, this man is what is called the great power of God. And they gave him attention because he had astonished them for a long time with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed after being baptized, he continued on. So Simon, he, he believed. He saw Philip doing the works, and he said, this is amazing. And he believed, and he was baptized in the name of Jesus um, because he, he was amazed at the signs and wonders that Simon was doing. He intuitively knew that... So Simon, if, if we think about him, like he sees a, a greater power at work, and so he wants that power. And so he's, uh, in that way, somewhat humble, right? So he's an interesting character because in some ways he seems to have a good heart. In other ways, you see, he's he's quite evil. And honestly, that's a picture of all of us in that 
he's having to come out of the world. And we don't hear the end of the story with him, which we'll, we'll get to what we do here. But, um, but he, he seems to have kind of a repentant heart. One more word about the magic stuff. I don't, you don't see a ton of that in, I think, the Western world because it's been a Christian society for so long. And, and part of the Western Greek way of thinking is to rely on logic and reason in any type of spirituality whether it's uh, the light or of the darkness, is not really accepted in the, in the light of logic and reason. Those are kind of two different worlds. And so you don't see it much. If you go to countries like Africa or India or stuff where that's fully accepted, my, I haven't really been to either. I've been to Egypt, um, which is different. Um, y- you, you encounter more actually i did encounter this a little bit in egypt come to think of it um but it was a mixture thing i mean it wasn't normal muslim practice but there was some old actually yeah come to think of it there's a lot of weird stuff in egypt there's old uh really 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 old temples and powers and stuff um that's not exactly what i'm talking about here though i'm talking about more people but this one guy he was he invited us into having this experience in this ancient, you know, multi-thousand-year-old little temple thing. <laughs> and that guy didn't look right. He, My sense of him was this, this spirit had warped this man. He was inviting us to pay him a fee to experience this. <laughs> We're like, no, thank you, sir. <laughs> We're getting out of here. <laughs> but um, but anyways, when, when people go towards witchcraft or, or things, and unfortunately, there are a lot of things that we invite our kids into, which are, um, there are of this spirit. And we laugh it off as just a funny kids thing, when actually, there are people out there. And most people think of it as a funny kids thing, but there are people out there that think of it as very, very real. And they are very, very much cursing uh our kids and our society through these things. And so handing, handing our kids over to these things and, or ourselves and saying, well, it's no big deal. It's just for fun. Um, that is to, to idolize your own experience and your own logic over the truth of the Bible and the truth of the spiritual reality. Now word got down to the apostles in Jerusalem that, um, the word of God was being received in Samaria. And so they sent Peter and John, and they came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. So the people had been baptized with water, but they had not yet been baptized in the Holy Spirit. If you read the book of Acts, it's incredibly clear that these are two separate events. They could be the same event, which we saw with Jesus, but that's pretty much the only time it's the same event in Scripture. I might be forgetting one, but I think that's true. Um, however, there's multiple events where we see that these are quite distinct. And so Peter and John um, went down and prayed for them that they would receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. You know, interesting thought. doesn't really matter, but it just occurred to me. Peter had a really big problem later with the Gentiles, but here he doesn't have a problem with the Samaritans. And the people, the Jews really looked down on Samaritans, so I find that interesting. Maybe they were kind of, sometimes you really have a problem with your rival, but you're really more similar to your rival than you are different. And if you look further external, you actually have a bigger problem with them. You just don't talk about it as much because you're 
you're not in such close contact. Maybe they had that situation. I don't know. But they, Peter eagerly went to be laying the, his hands on people, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So Simon apparently had a good money from his magic arts, and uh, he was he was wanting to pay. His understanding of things were were not uh, from the Lord yet. He was he'd been baptized, but um, he still thought in worldly ways, which is not unique. That's the way we all are, right? Um, but Peter was greatly offended, and so Peter is most probably seeing a, a spirit at work in him, which is quite evil, because this man had, you know, reveled in these things previously. And and so even by being baptized, that doesn't mean that spirit is gone. The things we let in in our life, well, it could be before or after we're baptized, but, you know, we it should be assumed that there's going to be stuff from the world, from the evil one in us before we come to the Lord. And hopefully we turn towards the Lord and we're letting less and less of that stuff in as we mature. Um, but he has just come to the Lord. And so um, whatever spirit had been at work within him to help him with these powers before, um, probably my guess is Peter is discerning this. And so he's quite violently uh, angry with this guy. He says, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. So quite a stern word that he needs to repent and turn to God because he's treating the holy things of God as something that to be bought by money, which is a carnal reality. We need money, but it's a thing of this world. It it can be a tool of you know, in this world, but it's it's not the precious things of God. It's just a carnal thing in this world. So Peter tells him, Therefore repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord that if possible the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. So Peter sees the the evil that this man is still under, even though he has been baptized by water in the Lord. He says you need to repent. And and again, this, since we're talking about baptisms, this is this is a process of baptism by fire. It's the least talked about of the baptisms. It's perhaps the least fun to go through, but it's incredibly important that we give ourselves to the Lord and allow ourselves to be disciplined by fire, not not literally, probably, but that we figuratively uh, go through the fire of the burning away of the dross so that we come out of our fallen man into a new spiritual man. And so Peter sees that this is very much needed in this man's life. It was needed in Peter's life, too. And it's still going to be needed later. Like he's not, Peter's not done growing. So, so this is a process for all of us. But here, Peter is the apostle. He's speaking and, and he says, your heart is not right. You need to repent and turn to the Lord and have this stuff be driven out of you. But Simon shows uh, a repentant heart. He says, pray to the Lord for me yourselves so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now, this could be, 
I, I don't know. I, the Lord's never shown me any deep things about Simon. Um, we kind of stopped hearing about him. Uh, he may even be called very evil later on by one of the other uh, epistles. Um, but so so I, I've been trying to put him in not such a bad light. But let me let me look at the other side for a minute. In that he's not willing. He he's not praying himself in this in this particular passage. He's not praying to himself, Lord, I want to be healed. He says, you pray for me. Well, that's a scary thing. That's a, that's a, again, the religious heart will say, well, someone else take care of this. I don't want to be about this work of God. And so if that's his heart here, pray for the Lord for me yourself so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me instead of him being willing to go to submit himself, repent, turn around, seek the Lord then that's a more sign that he's not really willing to walk in the life of the Spirit. Because there's a cost. Jesus said we have to count the cost to walk in the fullness of the life of the Spirit. And so if, if I'm not trying to read into it any other way, I'm just trying to show uh, that Simon's not so different than us, for one. And that now here I'm kind of turning and looking at the other side and saying, perhaps Simon is not willing to walk in the ways of the Lord. And so he's looking to, he's hoping to have the blessing and benefit that Peter talks about without giving himself to the process, without submitting his life to God. And then we move on. um, And then 25 says, So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. So there's a desert road, and he gets up and he goes, and there's an Ethiopian eunuch there, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. So this is a very important man. Uh, He's a a eunuch, which is, I guess, common back then for people that are close to royal families. And... um, and But he was very trusted. He was in charge of her treasure. That's a big deal. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. So he feared God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. So Philip ran up and he heard him. He was reading Isaiah. He said, do you understand what you're reading? He says, well, how could I unless somebody else guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And this is the scripture. Obviously, the hand of God is all over this encounter, right? Could have been reading anything in the Bible, and this is what he's reading. I believe this is Isaiah 53 without looking it up. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent. So he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation from his life is removed from the earth, for his life is removed from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? And so then Philip begins to just teach the scriptures to him and how they all point to Jesus. And how Jesus is the one mentioned in this passage by Isaiah, which is what, 600 years earlier? And they went along the road, they came to some water after Jesus, I mean, after Philip has been teaching him uh, the good news of Jesus and his kingdom. And the eunuch says, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 
And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. So that's always one of my coolest, one of my favorite miracles that I think is one of the coolest things. Uh, Philip just teleports out of there, right? I mean, he was in one place, and then he's in another place, maybe hundreds of miles away. Uh, I don't know how I don't know how far away Azotos is, but the point is he teleports, which I think is pretty cool. Um, and so the eunuch doesn't see him, but he goes along rejoicing. He says, "Whoa, that was amazing! Okay, now I know the truth." And he goes back to his own country and he's able to share the good news there. And but Philip found himself as at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. And so we see the work of God spreading. It started with persecution, but persecution oftentimes fires up and refines the hearts of the people of God. And then God fills them with his power, his wisdom, his love, so that they can share it. And so that's what we see in these two chapters. And that's it for today. God bless you.